0: As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about freedom. Thank you for praying for my wife. Uh, Funeral for her dad is tomorrow in Minneapolis. So we'll be heading up there after church along with my kids. And uh, So thank you for that, for your prayers. I will keep this short, this message. Uh, Just do the basic outline this morning because it was well worth it to hear the students and I'd give give up time to hear that any day. So... um, Many lives were lost during the Civil War, and um, in 1865, when the Civil War ended, on December 18th, um, then legally, there were no more slaves. On December 19th, we should say, there are no more slaves in the United States of America. But the problem was, many continued uh, to serve as slaves. Many plantations owners, owners got desperate. They became fearful of losing their livelihoods. And so they schemed together, or it was said by one person, uh, let's just keep these slaves in the dark. Many of them didn't hear this proclamation, emancipation, and so let's just keep them in the dark as long as we can, and as long as they don't know the truth, then they'll continue to serve us and work for us. But when they did hear of this uh, proclamation, this freedom, then they, the slave owners would use deception. they say, you know what, you are you set free, but the freedom is not yet, that's sometime in the future. Or they used accusation. Uh, you're free, but you're really not capable of making it on your own. You don't have the resources to make it up north, and so you can continue to work for us here and have room and board. Yet yeah, others believed, they heard the truth, they believed it, They packed their bags, they headed north to their new life and freedom. Well, that's kind of a parable of our spiritual life. We are set free in Christ. But the devil seeks to blind the minds of the unbelievers so that they don't come to understand the saving truth of Jesus' death and resurrection. If he fails, then he uses Deception against the believers. Yeah, you're free, but your freedom only comes at some point in the future, like when you die and go to heaven. Then you'll be free. Or he uses accusation. Yeah, you're free, but you're an inconsistent sinner who happens to be forgiven, but you're still a disappointment to God. Still others hear the truth. They know a great price was paid for their freedom, and so uh, they... They uh, realize that you're truly set free, eternally set free, completely and legally set free from their slavery to death and judgment and even the control of sin over their lives. So they begin to walk in freedom. Well, if we've been set free because of Jesus' death and resurrection, then why do we remain stuck? Why do we continue to live as though we're not free, even as believers, as long-time believers? I would I would suggest that we need to know three basic things. And this is the the quick outline. We need to know the truth, but then we need to take it a step further. We need to meditate on the truth. We really need to know it. And then finally, we need to walk according to the truth. So let's just look at these three things briefly. We need to know the truth of our identity in Christ. When Paul writes his letters to Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians, he begins by reminding the believers who they are in Christ, how God has chosen them, how he's adopted them. We heard about this last week from uh, Tammy Swanson-Draheim, and how what God thinks of them and, and who God is to us. We need to know our identity in Christ Paul, the apostle, always puts the indicative before the imperative. He always tells the truth of who we are and who God is before he, he launches into the commands. But oftentimes we focus on the latter chapters, the practical steps to this is how you, we have to live. And then we, we enter into this legalistic form of living. And we're truly not set free because we're doing all this long list of do's and don'ts, if you will. Paul always begins with the truth. Before he gives the practical, this, therefore, this is how you should live. I've heard many Christians describe themselves as sinners who are forgiven, or sinners saved by grace. And they read things like in 1 Corinthians, "...do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God?" Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with other men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And we think, well, at times I do wrong and I sin, therefore I'm a wrongdoer. At times I place things before God, therefore I'm an idolater. At times I find myself lusting after others in my heart, then I must be an adulterer. At times I find myself talking behind someone's back, therefore I must be a slanderer. And at times I catch myself pursuing selfish gain, therefore I must be a greedy person, and on and on. And so our identity becomes all these, this long list of things I do wrong. I'm just a sinner who God forgives but then the verse goes on in verse 11 Paul says and that is what some of you were were in the past but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the the spirit of our God that's who you are now justified sanctified and washed you no longer are who you used to be so you are not sinners any longer in fact, Paul the Apostle calls us saints, the righteous ones. He begins all the letters to the saints of Ephesus because that's our new identity. We need to know who we are in Christ if we're going to live free. That's our core identity. Some of us see ourselves, I've used this before, like paper plates. You know, you have hot dogs and beans and ketchup and mustard, and after you're done with this paper plate, you wad it up and throw it away. We're just disposable. Because we're stained with sin and we keep messing up. But God says you're not a disposable paper plate. In fact, you are the finest, irreplaceable, fine china. And after you get done eating, you wash it and you display it again. Sometimes you get messed up, but you just wash it, clean it, and display it again. Because that's how I see you now. You are my righteous ones, my saints. You are chosen. You are my children. And last week, Tammy mentioned in just three ways that God sees us. She said, we are chosen in the book of Ephesians. When I was in middle school, I didn't feel very chosen because I tried out for the football team and I made it and I was third string halfback and the coach never mentioned my name all season long. I just sat there. And then I tried out for the basketball team and I made it the final round. I was so excited and I got cut on the very final practice. And then I tried out for the school musical in middle school when I was in 8th grade. And I looked at the long list of those who were in the chorus and lead parts. And I was so excited. My name wasn't even in the chorus. I didn't even make it. And I think that was a mistake by the music teacher. Because even my tone deaf friends made made the chorus. But I didn't even make it. So I was at the lowest point in 8th grade. And so when I was doing tumbling around in the gym, in the middle school gym... Then the high school gymnastics coach happened to wander in. He saw me messing around with other gymnasts. And he said, Man, you need to come out for the gymnastics team. You got some talent there, son. First time I'd ever been chosen, I was like, Whoa, it felt so good to be noticed and chosen. And God says, We are chosen by Him. He notices us, He wants us to be in His family. Tammy said, We're adopted. We have a Heavenly Father who gives us his undivided attention. We have access to our Heavenly Father's um, attention, his peace, his comfort, and his very presence. And then Tammy in 1 Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life. And then Tammy mentioned that we are empowered for the praise of his glory. We have a purpose in this earth. Tammy noted that these three descriptive ways that God sees us only scratches the surface. And I will say that it is true because if you look throughout the rest of the Scripture, you'll find dozens and dozens of ways that God sees us. In fact, right outside these doors on the, on the table to the left, you know, in our um, visitation center and whatnot, I have these sheets here. Um, there are 80, 80 ways that God sees us. And he refers to us in Scripture. What else do we need? This is what he thinks of us. And so Matthew 5, you're the salt of the earth. Matthew 5, I'm the light of the world. I am the child of God. I'm the true vine. I'm Christ's friend. I'm, uh, I'm chosen by Christ to bear fruit. I'm Christ's personal witness. Goes on 80 different things on this sheet alone. And that just covers some of the ways that God sees us. And they're all different than the one before it. Front and back. We need to know the truth. Um, but then we n- not only need to know the truth if we're going to walk in freedom, we need to meditate on the truth. Because we know it. Ever since we were this old in Sunday school, we heard, God loves us, Jesus loves me, yes, this I know. I am a child of the Heavenly Father. Um, we know this right here, but it doesn't inform, inform us right here in how we live. We really don't believe it because it doesn't affect how we live a lot of times. Why do we remain stuck even as mature believers or as believers for a long time? It's be, I would contend that the truth doesn't penetrate our hearts. We can know a lot about God without experiencing the presence of God and the truth in our hearts. God's word has to instruct us as we meditate on it. Meditate means to ruminate, means to massage it, means to uh, ingest it, ingest the truth. Psalm 1 psalmist writes, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I struggled for some years in my childhood feeling pretty inadequate. I was an average student, an average athlete, average at everything. I was raised knowing that my parents loved me, and they accepted me. I had a secure home life, but my dad was raised in a generation where he did not express his affirmation too well, verbally at least. And so he was a great guy, but I'd never really heard, you know, I'm proud of you, son. Or, and, and so I, it, this left a deficit in my life, I think, growing up. And, and so, you know, I was on the football team, but I was third string, and And you know, barely, I don't know if they even came to the games. Um, I was a gymnast, and gymnastics was not a popular sport. Um, And so I just remember feeling I'm such an average dude. I'm an average athlete, average academically, average communicator, average leader, average musician. You know, I would get a bunch of participation awards. This left me with this deficit. As I, I never felt like I even measured up. Even when I became a pastor and preached about God's love and his sufficiency, I felt very average and inadequate as a leader. I had to do some serious soul surgery with the Holy Spirit. I had to learn the truth. I had to meditate on the truth. I had to allow this to inform how I thought and how I thought of myself. And through prayer counseling and just through Um, a lot of study and meditation, I finally remember when I was set free from needing the approval of others. When we feel inadequate, we can respond in unhealthy ways. We can either be so self-critical, man, I'm just so ordinary, I'd try my best, but I'm not going to risk anything too much. I'm just going to play it safe. We could be very protective and self-critical. Or we could overcompensate, become very arrogant, and we could try to prove ourselves in every way that we'll we'll never be wrong, and we argue every and in two unhealthy ways, but people are not free. We need to learn to see ourselves as God sees us. We need to know God's love letter. And I would like us to consider doing for 40 days taking this list home, and reading at least one page out loud every day, and the next page the next day, or read them all out loud, because it starts with, I am the child of light, not darkness. I am chosen to share God's heavenly calling. I am a part of Christ. I share in his life. I am, so it goes on and on. And we can do one better. We can look up the scriptures that correspond to it next to it. So pick one of these up. Let God remind you of who you are and what your true identity is. Uh, there, why is it, though, that when we receive Christ, we struggle after salvation? I, I believe it's because even though we're set free and we're made in new creations, we're still left with our old bodies and our old minds, in part. We have, we have all these... Um, Memories of how we lived independent of God, sometimes for years and years. This is how I learned, and my, my brain was programmed to respond in a life independent of God. And then the moment we receive Christ, God doesn't have a delete button on all, all of our bad memories or sinful ways of thinking. He doesn't just reboot us and then we're a brand new computer in our brains. Instead, we have to contend with all of our programming from the former life Sort of like when I had a fourth grade teacher um, who was very strict. Oh, man, I feared her. She was next to retirement, and we walked in the classroom and sat down. Yes, Mrs. Uh, and, um, man, we just feared her like walking on thin ice. And if we got out of line, man, we were disciplined. She never took us out on the playground fourth grade. Fifth grade, half the class went to Mr. Maloney's class. Great guy, man. He was relational. He took us out on the playground. He laughed with us. He was easygoing. But at first, when we first went into his classroom that next year, we sat down and we're tense. We're wound tight. And then over time we realized we got a new teacher here. This is not like our fourth grade teacher. When When we receive Christ, we're used to living under Satan's command and under his rule and ways of thinking. And we have to learn how to Walk according to Christ. And, when we, and how do we do that? By renewing our mind. Um, um, renewing our mind. Uh, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, when we think the truth, we are literally forging new neural pathways in our brain. It's sort of like the wagon wheels in the Old West. You know, they, they have, you see those ruts in the dirt road? But then we're not going to travel that way anymore. That that way leads to destruction. We're going to travel this way. We forge new ruts in our brain, and then these ruts will eventually fill in when we're not thinking those thoughts any longer. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What? Where do we get this new mind? Through God's word, meditating on it. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right and pure and lovely and admirable... If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think on the truth. Meditate on the truth. Let it inform what you think of yourself and how you behave. Which leads to the last point. And just, uh, we need to choose to walk by the truth. You brothers and sisters, you are called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love In other words, now as believers, we have the choice. We're not stuck in the sinful nature. We're not controlled by these sinful thoughts independent of God. Now we have the living spirit who empowers us to choose the right over the wrong. He goes on to say, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will then not gratify the desires of your flesh. Since we live by the spirit, let's keep in step with the spirit or walk by the spirit. Again, we have a choice. We can indulge the flesh as believers or we can walk by the Spirit. If we indulge the flesh, it will lead to destruction. Uh, It will lead us to live contrary to who we really are on the inside. We'll be fake, if you will. We'll be miserable. Or we could walk by the Spirit and live into who we truly are on the inside. A college professor took a question from a student who said, man, all religion leads us to bondage. You know, we lose all our freedom because of all the lists and do's and don'ts. And he said, son, to the contrary, Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, you're my disciples, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, son, I am free to live any way I want to. I can live to obey God. I am in power to do so. Or I could choose to sin, which will lead to destruction. I have that choice now. Romans 8.12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation now, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, then you will live. We're empowered. We can choose right over wrong now. We're not controlled by the enemy and the sinful nature. I'm, not, I'm no longer governed, governed by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which means focusing on my position and possessions. I could be free from what I think other people think of me. You know, I could be secure in the Lord, and I can allow him to do a work in me. So, uh, that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Oftentimes, though we sit in the Spirit, we say, let go and let God And God says, no, that's not how it works. It's not biblical, let go and let God. It's like planting a garden and never weeding it or watering it. Yeah, God makes things grow, but he says you need to weed it and water it if you want a healthy garden. Um, Or it doesn't mean to sit in the Spirit, doesn't mean to run in the Spirit either, which means endless activity of busyness, trying to do everything by ourselves on our own strength, run ahead of God, if you will. We occasionally dog sit my son's dog, this little greyhound, tiny little greyhound, and and I'm the master now. You obey me. We're going for a walk. Do you think he listens to this master grandparent? No. This dog's like he's like this, and he's smelling things. And come on, uh! and it's just like that. You know, it's like I don't want to go for a walk. I get way more exercise than this dumb dog does. Um, it's because he doesn't—he doesn't keep in step with the master, with—with with the master, and we can be that way as Christians too. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit, sort of like the ducks following the mama duck. That's across Mas- Maxwell this past week. Stop all of traffic and let the ducks take their time and waddle across Maxwell. Right? You see that? They walk in the Spirit. They live consistent with who they are. And when we do that, we will experience true freedom in Christ. In weeks to come, we're going to get way more specific on what, how we can take real specific steps to walk in freedom. Uh, but this is the overview for where we're going in the future. Let's pray. And so, Lord, it is 12 o'clock right now, and thank you, Lord, for this, time, this hour where we had opportunity to worship you and to offer ourselves as living sacrifice to consider the truth of your word so that we could be children of the heavenly father and walk accordingly in victory and in freedom lord we're going to be looking at specific ways that we can take steps to break the bondage in our lives but lord let us begin with knowing your truth and meditating on your truth obeying your truth i pray in christ's name amen